Welcome to The Path and the Practice, a podcast dedicated to sharing the professional origin stories of the attorneys at Foley & Lardner LLP, a full-service law firm with over 1,000 lawyers across the U.S. and abroad. I'm your host, Alexis Robertson, Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Foley. In each episode of this podcast, you'll hear me in conversation with a different Foley attorney. You'll learn about each guest's unique background, path to law school, and path to Foley & Lardner. Essentially, you'll hear the stories you won't find on their professional bios. And of course, you'll learn a bit about their practice. Now, let's get to the episode. This episode features a conversation with Crystal Shore. Crystal is a partner and intellectual property lawyer in Foley's DC office. She is chair of the firm's chemical, biotechnology, and pharmaceutical practice group, as well as a member of the firm's partner selection committee. We start off this conversation joking a bit about how Crystal was a reluctant podcast guest. She wasn't necessarily thrilled to be on the show and had told me a few times that she just doesn't think her path is that interesting, but I assured her that it was. So we then jump into the conversation and Crystal reflects on growing up in Long Island, New York, attending college at Penn State University, earning her PhD from the University of Maryland School of Medicine, and getting her JD from George Washington University Law School. Crystal also discusses what it was like to work while she was in law school as a patent agent for Foley and Lardner. She reflects on her transition to becoming an associate, and she actually shares a little bit about a time that she almost left the firm. But Crystal then shares exactly what it is that has kept her at Foley for over two decades. She also does an excellent job at describing her IP counseling practice, and as a member of Foley's Partner Selection Committee, she reflects on life as a partner, what it takes to become a partner, and why being a partner is not easier than being an associate. Towards the end of the discussion, I also get Crystal to reflect a bit on how Foley has supported her throughout her career, in particular, the years where she was on flex time. And she even specifically says that it is the support that Foley gave to her family and her career that allows her to still be at Foley and in the leadership positions that she holds at the firm. We then end the conversation with Crystal giving some wonderful advice to law students about the interview process. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Crystal Shore. Crystal, welcome to The Path and the Practice. Delighted to have you here today. And as we were just talking about before I started recording, I know you're a reluctant guest, so we could talk a bit about that. But let's <laughs> actually start with you giving your professional introduction. Yeah. So, so yes, I am a reluctant guest. I am Crystal Shore. I'm a partner in the DC office at Foley. I have been with the firm for 21 years. And I am currently the chair of the Chem, Bio, and Pharmaceutical Practice Group in the IP department. And as you know, Crystal, I'm thrilled to have you here. And I was also telling you how it takes me a little bit more effort to get some of our IP lawyers on the podcast. <laughs> I feel like these are stereotypes about practice groups. Like the litigators are like, yes, hand me the microphone. You know, right. And the, the IP lawyers are like, but do I have to? <laughs> right. Yeah. We're a little bit more to ourselves. Not everybody. But a lot of us are. So so I, I can imagine your your roster of IP folks on the counseling side is going to be pretty small. But everybody I've had on so far has been great. And yours, your, our discussion is going to be great, too. So let's just jump right into it. Sort of the beginning. So where are you from? Where did you grow up? So I grew up in Long Island, Long Island. Let's see, I then went to college at Penn State. 
and then went to uh, University of Maryland in Baltimore at the medical school to get my graduate degree, and then went to GW for law school at night and worked full-time at Foley during the day as a, as a law clerk. All right, we're going to unpack all of that, but I want to take you back. So you mentioned <laughs> Long Island. You did the accent for us. Give me a little snippet of just life growing up. Like, did you have siblings? And sort of what, what kind of kid were you if you had to describe yourself? Oh, so I went to the beach a lot. Uh, but we only lived maybe about a mile and a half from the beach. So I was there probably almost every day, even during some school days. I was a typical high school kid that, you know, studied in school, but didn't take it too, too seriously and had, you know, a number of friends that I still stay in touch with. Nothing unusual. Well, and I like you indulging that question because one, particularly for the law students who listen, I like reminding them that, you know, the partners at Foley and Lardner in particular, they were once kids. We have, we were, we're all people too. And they may have shared some biographical details similar to the listeners, like perhaps someone listening from Long Island. I'm guessing you weren't, you know, 12 years old thinking I'm going to get my PhD and then I'm going to go on to be an IP lawyer. I'm guessing there was more of a, a path <laughs> that unfolded. So tell me about you and say high school, going to college. How did you decide on Penn State? Did you have a sense as to what you wanted to major in? Yeah, so I applied to Penn State because it didn't have an essay requirement. And I just didn't put a whole lot into my college application. This is probably not great information to be sharing. No, but it makes you human. And it, I think for someone who's 17 or 18 looking at college admissions, that's a really logical conclusion as to where's the easiest, where's the easiest for me to apply? That's where I'm going to go. What's the easiest? What's the path of least resistance? What requires, you know, the lazy approach? These are all not like. But I know we're not there yet. But just Crystal, the contrast we're about to have, because I'm sorry, getting a PhD is definitely not the path of least resistance. So I'm interested to see what, what changes. But now I understand why Penn State. What did you major in when you were in college? So it was biology. I thought I wanted to be a, a physician so and, and go to medical school afterwards. I could tell you what changed and made me decide that I do need to work hard. My first semester in college, I got a 177. That'd be a 1.77. After that, my, my parents had told me that if I don't fix that, that I'm going to get pulled from school. After that, I, I decided to take things a little bit more seriously. Ultimately, at the end of college or toward the end, I decided I didn't want to go to medical school, or at least I wasn't certain I wanted to go to medical school. Initially, I had gotten just a master's degree because I thought that would give me a little time to figure out whether I wanted to go to med school or just figure out what I wanted to do. After the master's degree, I decided I definitely did not want to go to medical school, but I, I definitely still did not know what I wanted to do. So I uh, decided to stay in graduate school and finish out my PhD, like get a PhD at Maryland use that time to then figure out what I would want to do afterwards. And then toward the end of, of the, my graduate degree is when I felt that I didn't want to do something that would make it seem that I wasted the last five years of my life 
but I definitely did not want to stay in academia or do any kind of research or work for a biotech company or anything like that. And that's how the law school piece came into play. And a lot of you know, reaching out to folks who had done something pretty similar, who were at other firms, but ahead of me in their career, finding out a little bit more about the profession before I, I went down that path. So funny, just the other day, I was talking to one of our summer associates, who's an IP summer associate, and she said something similar in that. And I think her, she was definitely biology and maybe even had a PhD. I don't remember, but she realized she didn't want to work in a lab is essentially what, what she told me. Oh, yeah. But before we get there, and I want to hear more about that connection with the law and ultimately what caused you to want to follow this path. But can you tell me a bit about your PhD? So when I look at the at your bio, I see that it's in, in medical physiology. Like, wh- what is that? What is your PhD in? What does that mean, though? What is that? It's studying all the processes in the body, in the human body. Well, I guess it wasn't specific just to humans, but largely because the first few years were with the medical students. It was just understanding all the biological processes that would occur and in, in the various organ systems within your body. So the cardiovascular system, the respiratory system, you know, like just different aspects. And it was focused on human physiology because the first two years, as I mentioned, were with med students. You know, it's sort of split off because the med students then went into a clinical, you know, like understanding the clinical side of things. The graduate students went into into the lab to understand more things on a molecular level, like on a much smaller level. And Crystal, I just have to read this out loud because I don't usually get to say these sort of words, but I read your bio and it talks about, there's a, a line about your graduate work that says, it was in the field of cancer biology and the regulation of apop- apoptosis and mammary epithelial cells in particular. I just paused a few times trying to say apoptosis, but I normally don't get to use these sorts of scientific terms in life around the podcast. But that sounds really interesting. I mean, you're essentially a a scientist at that point. I don't know if you have more to say about it. I think it sounds like it's interesting. It's not really that interesting. If it were that interesting, I don't think I would have then left and, and pursued law school. I mean, it was just basically cancer research and how apoptosis just means cell death. It's not it's not that exciting. I think it sounds maybe more exciting than it really is. The you know, the lab experience, it's really for a very particular kind of person, folks that are, you know, enjoying total silence, being very independent, but but somewhat isolated. For the folks that know me, I, I I sometimes talk a little bit too much. The lab is not a great place to be if you're a chatty person. And- you said something very similar as Eileen Ridley, who I believe her undergraduate book, I think it was engineering, but she essentially yeah. said, if I followed that, like I talk too much, I'm too personal yeah, oh yeah. Right. to exactly. follow this. <laughs> yeah. You put me and Eileen on the phone together. I mean, we're talking a lot about nothing for, you know, an hour and a half, but that's exactly the way it is. And so if you, that's how the lab is being in the lab. It's just, you are in your sort of zone and you're dealing with your stuff and you're not really talking to other people. And it's, frankly, somewhat lonely. And, you know, you sit there and you think, oh my gosh, do I want to do this for the rest of my life? I mean, I was 
barely able to get through graduate school. There was no way I was going to have a career like that. And I will say for the listeners, Eileen Ridley is Foley's chief diversity and inclusion partner, amongst many other things, including a vice chair of the litigation department. She's been on the podcast. If you look for her name, you'll find it. But you already sort of explained what happened next, but, but do it again. So you figure you don't want to be in a lab. You need to do something else. You mentioned that you sounds like you talked to a lot of people. You basically looked to see what your other options were. I, so I finished the master's degree two years in. So that's just pretty much all the coursework. There was a, just a little bit of lab work. And then I started the lab in my third year. And so there's still some courses, but it's predominantly research at that point. It was like, I think a day later where I came home and I, I told my my husband, who's my who was my boyfriend at the time, that there's zero chance I'm doing this for the rest of my life. And I just took the next three years to figure out what are some things that I could do where I'm going to integrate science, because I do like the science, but do it in a non-lab setting with other people around that I can talk to. The list of options aren't that, that many. I mean, there there are, I mean, there's a number of things, but it's, it's not like you come up with a list of even 10 things. It was more like five, or I guess five that I would really kind of consider. And I called a number of professionals in, you know, the various five areas. And the one that was the most intriguing was being a a patent attorney. And so, you know, if it wasn't for a lot of the folks that I just cold called at various firms who had PhDs and talked to them about their path and how they how they got there, what they enjoy about their job, and then you know, spending time to talk to me. I mean, with this one woman, she talked to me, gosh, probably on like three different occasions for like an hour a piece. And, and that's, that's a lot of time. And, but she was super helpful. And so there were a number of folks like that, that were kind enough to guide me a bit. You know, the other thing was at the time, so this was in 95 when I started graduate school at the time, there was always this thinking that if you're in the PhD program, you're going to get your PhD, you're going to do one or two or three postdocs, you're going to stay in an academic setting, maybe you'll go to a company, but for the most part, we want you staying in an academic setting. So I couldn't tell anybody that there was zero chance I was staying in an academic setting and that I did not want to deal with, you know, doing any kind of research at all. So I was relying a lot on other folks that were outside of school to tell me more about the job. I couldn't tell people inside of the school, inside the program. It was really very, very clear to me that this, it wasn't for me. I mean, not just, not just the laboratory setting where no one, you know, where there's no one really around, but when I would see people present on their research, you know, they would hold up these mice that had tumors in them and they would be so excited like so fired up about these mice with these tumors and i would just sit there and i think oh my gosh that's so gross and i didn't have that like enthusiasm and actually it was somewhat like just repulsive i'm seeing your face so there you should want to ask all these detailed questions about the processes but you're just like ew yeah can i go somewhere else right Right. And they would show pictures and, you know, it just wasn't appealing. But 
importantly, it wasn't something that gave me some level of excitement that I felt that you needed to have in a job when it's going to take so much time and you're going to be so committed to it. You know, you needed to feel that enthusiasm. And and I just did not. You've actually hit on a key theme of this podcast. I'd say most of our guests, of, of my guests, have talked about that in some way. Like if they'd had a prior career before law, it was, I lacked enthusiasm. Or if it, law is the only thing they've done, it's the importance of having that practice area and people that you genuinely enjoy, or at least have some curiosity for. You know, I can see just by looking at, you know, your bio and on your LinkedIn that, so it looks like, is it right after you finished your PhD program? Did you then start law school? Yeah, I I did everything straight through because toward the end of the PhD, by that point in that last year, I already knew I wanted to go to law school. So I took the LSAT in that last year. Some of my friends didn't figure it out until after they did a postdoc. Thank God I did not do a postdoc. So I, I was able to finish my degree in, I guess, June or July, something like that of 2000 and then started law school in the fall of 2000. And then I applied to Foley. I want to say it was, I kind of just started the semester. I want to say it was maybe toward the end of October of 2000. And, but I was set on finishing the first semester of law school without working because I just wanted to kind of get into sort of the groove a little bit before I started a job. And then I started fully, it was January 2nd of 01. Wow. I'm amazed that you remember the the date, but that's close to January 1st. Right after New Year. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. There's a lot there. And so, and I don't want to spend even too much time because we, I'm going to talk about your practice and so many other things, but you finish your PhD, you start law school, is there an adjustment to law school? And then I'd love for you to say a little bit more about the role you had with Foley. So is there an adjustment with law school? Not so much. Not if you go straight through. You know, I, I went, if I had just had a job before starting law school, then I would probably say there was there would be a bigger adjustment. But because I went from one program really to the next program. Yeah, it was more school. It was just, yeah. And that's what my mother said. And she nearly had a heart attack when I told her I was going to law school. It's just like that. Like, you, you just more school. There wasn't a big adjustment there. When I started working, I don't know that it was really that much of an adjustment either because Foley was so good about dealing with people that go to school at night and work during the day. So they had a lot of the sort of the process already in place that it wasn't really difficult and I wasn't the first one to do it. So they knew how to deal with people when they said, I got to leave, you know, at four o'clock to go to class, or I'm not going to be here for two days because I have a final, you know, they, they, they understood all that. Yeah. And just to be clear, you are working as a patent agent with Foley. My knowledge is not as strong in this particular area, but did you take the patent bar before you graduated from law school or how did all that work? So before I graduated law school, yes. I definitely didn't do it as quickly as Foley probably wanted me to. I think they usually want you to do it within a year of working. I think I interpreted that rather loosely and just did it, you know, within the time that I was at Foley before I graduated. So I would say- You got to it. (laughs) Three and a half years. 
Uh, and I don't know why other than, you know, I had heard that the patent bar is really hard. There's a low pass rate, like all these things. And I just thought, well, I probably the best way for me to prepare is to actually work and then take the exam instead of, you know, read things in a book that are, are kind of sort of abstract, seemingly abstract because you don't have any basis for understanding what some of the words mean and stuff. So I, yes, but so yes, it, it eventually happened and it was before I graduated. When I graduated, I took then time off before starting as an associate. So in that summer I ended up, did I get married then? Oh no, I had a baby then. Oh no, no, no. Did I have the baby yet? No, I can't remember. I, I can't, something sounds happened. like a lot life events happened though. Yeah, there, were, there, were things, <laughs> there were things that made me stop working for about two months after law school, and then oh, I know my husband was in South Carolina. Okay, so there were things that made me stop working while I was in law school, and then restart as an associate. Then, like two months later, okay, um, and then I just stayed here. And I want to talk about for you, there's a, you know, we have a little bit of a gap to close because now you've been at Foley for, I think, you know, over two decades at this point. But reflecting on those early years as an associate, perhaps in contrast to your time as an agent, I mean, in some ways, you know, the firm, you know, the work, but what was it like as you were, you know, learning how to be an IP lawyer in the earlier days of your career? So I, I'm in the counseling group, right? I'm not an IP litigator. So the part about working while I was in law school, I learned a lot of what I was supposed to do as an associate in the counseling group. So it it sort of prepared me to be an associate. So once I was an associate, the type of, of work that I was getting was very similar. So about two years after I graduated from law school, so I was still at Foley, and I was starting to feel a little bit like I was getting a lot of the same work that I was doing as a patent agent. And I felt like, well, I'm, I went to law school, though. And part of it, I think, was I was viewed, at least from my perspective, I, I was worried that I was viewed kind of as the same person because I was doing all of this one kind of work. There was like no ability to get something else, you know? I um, was on some matter or whatever, and I was dealing with another firm. And at the end of the matter, the other firm said, do you want to come over? And I thought, you know, I don't, I don't really want to come over, but I'm really worried that I'm going to sort of limit my development if I stay here. And so I interviewed at the other firm and I gave notice at Foley. And honestly, like even it depended on the time of day you would ask me as to what I was going to do. My answer would flip flop. You know, I really enjoyed being at Foley, but I was very worried about the work. Mm -hmm. Did Foley politely decline your resignation? <laughs> yeah, I mean, something like that. For, for the next, I would say, 22 hours, I talked to more people at the firm than I had ever spoken with. I remember talking to Steve Mabius, who is my mentor, and he's, he's a very good friend of mine now and, you know, really, I guess, an informal mentor now, too. But he had sort of been with me this whole way from when I was a 
a, a patent agent through an associate and and then you know as a partner they don't give you any more mentors but but I still heavily relied on him but I remember telling him that I was leaving he said that he if I stayed he would make sure that I didn't only do this same type of work and yeah so 36 hours later I was like okay I'm gonna undo my my notice that I gave and the type of work that I that I did after that and that I still continue to do is a good mix of work. Staying was the best decision I, I ever made. I want to talk a bit about what that mix of work is, but I also want to say you are not the first person on the podcast to talk about. So Phil Phillips on his episode, he uh-huh. talked about at one point having, I think he described it as having one leg out of the firm and then another yeah. someone came and helped him pull it back in. Yeah. And then I had a Clyde Tennant on. He was actually at a different firm before joining Foley where yeah. he gave his resignation and the firm was like, well, no, like we'd prefer <laughs> not to because we, right. we, why actually make you a partner if I like you sharing that because I do think it shows the faith in one's career, but also that transition for a lot of lawyers, it's from, you know, associate to senior associate to counsel or to senior counsel to partner. But for you, you sort of had this added transition point of from agent to associate to, and I think there really are different, I hate to say, but like epochs or like eras in someone's career. And it can be hard. Now, what's what's fun for me, and I feel like I'm obligated to say this as a part of Foley's legal talent development team, is that, well, you know, when, it, when you started, there probably wasn't as robust of a support behind some of those things. So it's, it's always going to be important to have your mentors to have these discussions with. But I like to think that now perhaps the firm has made some of those transitions a little bit more formal in terms of who you could get resources from. But like I said, I feel obligated to say that, but. <laughs> I think that they they have maybe made it more formal, but I think they've also made sure that it's okay to talk about. It. Exactly, exactly. I call that my 36 hour departure. It was a strange time, but you know, one of the things though that I did learn from it, I mean, so what I was doing at the time was really all patent prosecution work. Although that's not even entirely true because when I met the other firm, I was in the middle of a diligence deal. So it's not that I was doing all patent prosecution work, so I, but in my mind, I was doing all patent prosecution, or at least 97%, except for the one diligence deal. So as the practice group leader, I make sure that our associates are not in that position, even if they were not a patent agent first and then became an associate I like to see all of our folks get a mix of work, including the agents. And and it's largely because, in my opinion, what leads to some job satisfaction or even a lot of job satisfaction is by getting a mix of work. So I think that whether someone is doing all counsel, you know, all patent prosecution work or all opinion work or all diligence work, it gets hard to do the same thing. Mixing it up is is important. Well, let's talk a little bit about your practice and maybe define some of those terms. So for the listeners, I will say I've had a couple of um, attorneys from Foley who more heavily do patent prosecution. So look for Galen Yu or Sonal Agarwal. So I won't have you sort of define the ins and outs of that because there's opportunities to hear about it. But you've mentioned counseling. And also, once again, going back to your bio, 
I know it sounds like your focus, which makes sense given your background, is life sciences clients, but it seems like a pretty wide range of things that you could be doing with or for those clients. So tell me more about your practice and where necessary, explain what certain things mean like counseling. Yeah. So so first of all, someone like Galen or Sonal, it's they're pretty early in their career. Well, Sonal is not so much new. Actually, Galen, I don't know how how junior he is either anymore. But everybody in the very beginning has to understand patent prosecution. You cannot be an IP attorney and not understand patent prosecution. And that process is really just helping a client get a patent issued from the patent office and everything that would entail. That whole process is called patent prosecution. Then, you know, clients also decide, many clients, that they have a product that they want to commercialize, that they want to sell. And they want to know, are they going to infringe some other company's patents if they were to sell their product that they want to commercialize? That type of work that you would be doing there is opinion work. And that's more, it's considered more high level work. It's it's certainly more interesting from my perspective. Not everybody's going to agree, but from my perspective, it's more interesting. And so the work product is going to be a different type of work product than it would be if you were doing patent prosecution. That's like one aspect that you could do. A client might also decide that they're interested in acquiring another company's technology. So you would evaluate the other com- the target company's technology. You would see what their IP looks like, if it would cover what you need it to cover based on what your client wants. You would look at the strength of the IP that you're about to acquire. So that the and the work associated with that type of um, IP diligence is is another again a you know sort of a third thing that you could do within the counseling group. And all this stuff falls within patent counseling. You know, to call patent prosecution, to say patent prosecution is synonymous with counseling, I couldn't disagree more. It's one aspect, yeah. But a lot of times when you're first starting out, you are doing predominantly patent prosecution. And that's where some people don't want to do that their whole life. And so introducing a bit of a, variety in their type of in the type of work that I think that's a good thing. I mean, and, and it's largely because I almost left because of it, you know, because I felt like I was doing the same thing over and over again. Well, I immensely appreciate that explanation. I could pretend like I know all the ins and outs of all the practice groups. I don't. I mean, fortunately, due to you know my life before I was a DNI professional, being a legal recruiter, I did have to get up to speed on most large law firm practice groups in a way that a lot of people don't. But I deeply appreciate that explanation. And I think it's it's interesting because you were talking about how when you were trying to leave your PhD program or figure out what to do after you talk to a lot of lawyers. I like this podcast because in a way we're almost scaling that. Like I kind of hope that there's somebody out there who listens to your story and is able to learn things. But also for the listeners who are not IP lawyers, I think there's a need to understand what people in your firm do. 
because as you get more senior in, in your career and you're perhaps more focused on business development or cross-selling opportunities, you need to know more than just about your own practice. So I say all that to say that I think your explanation is helpful for, for a variety of reasons. But what I'd also like to get you to do, and I don't know, let's say our last 10 or 15 minutes together, is reflecting on sort of the, the stages of your career. So what we, I feel like, covered was the earlier, you know, associate that transitioned to broadening your practice. But while you're sort of, you know, like matriculating as a lawyer, you know, you also, it sounds like have, you know, family things going on, other life events have stayed at Foley that whole time. But then what was the transition like, say, from either associate to senior counsel or senior counsel to, to partner? Like, what are there, are there highlights to share there as you've grown at the firm? This is going to be such a boring answer. I don't think that the transitions were difficult. I think a misconception is that when you're an associate and you become senior counsel or when you're senior counsel and you become partner, that all of a sudden the work stops or something. You know, I think, you know, especially from senior counsel to partner, I think people view it as I'm going to make partner and, and like that's the end. And I'm thinking, holy crap, that is so not true because you're going to work so much harder. You know, you thought you worked really hard as as an associate or really hard as senior counsel. You're still working really hard as a partner. It's just different. You know, and it's just different. Like, it's not like all of a sudden you're not practicing law. You're still practicing law as a partner. Maybe you're going to do a little more reviewing than you are in preparing an initial draft of something. But you have this huge pressure, which, which from my perspective, you should sort of start feeling this pressure as a senior counsel. So I'm also on the partner selection committee and I hate it when senior counsel are not doing any business development, but we're going to have to dive into this more. I by the way, I love that you said all of that. And I don't know if you've heard someone say that, that transition from associate to partner, and this isn't quite right, but it's a, you know, it's a pie eating contest and the prize is more pie. Although I think, I think then at the partner level, now you get to manage the pie and you need to go find places to help, you know, supply the pie. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. I think I'm just, well, I'm in general, a very stressed person, but I think I'm just as stressed now as I was as a senior counsel and as an associate. It's just, I don't know. The stress doesn't when, go away. The when you say it's different. Yeah. And could you highlight, cause I'm also thinking of law students who don't, you know, they're like, Law firm, lawyer, got it. What is added on? And you've talked about business development, like you mentioned the word business, but what what changes? What What's added on once you get that partner title? Or what are the expectations, should I say? Exactly what you said. Now you got to go get the pie. I mean, that's, that's really, if there aren't people that are going to go out there and try and bring in work, there's going to be no work to do. So in order to make sure that there is work, we have to keep going out and trying to develop business, meet new clients, or even grow work from existing clients, whatever way it is, but we want to attract more business to the firm. I think the pressure of that is greater as you move along. So as a patent agent, you may not be thinking about it as much, although we have had patent agents that are always thinking about business development. And it's not necessarily that they're going to say, okay, well, I have Genentech now that is very interested in doing work with Foley. It's more they think about staying in touch with their colleagues from, from graduate school or from undergrad or whatever. And a lot of those folks move on to various positions where they can be 
at a point where they can send work to a firm. And so keeping those contacts. So you do have some some patent agents that are thinking about it. Associates are are thinking about it a little bit. There's definitely a point where you're not just now thinking about it, but you're actually trying to do stuff so that you can bring in work. And the percentage of your day, I would say, that is occupied with generating business and, and bringing in more work is greater as you move along than doing just say just know, the work work yeah yeah so i had lee riley on and she talked a little bit about you know there's different ways that people create those relationships not everybody has the same style in terms of Absolutely. business development so for anyone who wants to hear more listen to that episode she's an erisa partner at foley but i just think this discussion is so important because also it circles back to what you said about liking what you do curiosity about what you do, but also that people connection because the path to partnership is somewhat long. I do think there are people, and some of this depends on your firm, by the way, and I know we get lawyers from, you know, who aren't fully listening, but you can get so focused on just the work that you can lose relationships, you know, kind of not, not keep your head up and maintain those relationships that, no, they're not going to give you work as a third year, but they might in a decade from now. Right. There's so many other things. And also in this podcast, I will get people who've had, this is going to sound so strange, but I have to say it, who have experience in retail or food service. And at the end of the day, we're a professional services firm. We are customer service oriented. And frequently those skills and concerns don't come up as much until you are farther along yeah. in your career. Yeah. Although there are some people that are definitely much better at Early it. Early on. In the yeah. Beginning. Well, and the other thing you mentioned being chair of your practice group, as well as on the partner selection committee is in addition to those client facing, you know, business development things, there's also other, I think, leadership roles and responsibilities that can also get added on. So I don't know if you could say a, say a word about that as well. Those things I think are a really fun part of what I do. You know, we are at a pretty big firm. From my perspective, I think there are bigger firms, but I certainly think having, you know, whatever, 1,200 lawyers at a firm is, is, a, is a nice size firm. I think that you feel more integrated into the firm when you know more people in the firm and not just people in your practice group, but people in your department and then certainly across practice groups. So I think it's important to know folks in the business law department, in the litigation department, you know, just knowing a lot of different people. The different, you know, leadership positions, whether it's practice group chair or being on a partner selection committee or, or another committee within the firm, I think what makes those enjoyable, separate from the service that you're doing to the firm, you know, for the firm to ultimately better the firm, it allows you to interact with folks outside of your technology group or your, you know, your practice area. And I think ultimately that leads to, this is gonna sound so hokey, but ultimately that leads to really a more fulfilling experience in your job. You just feel more connected to the place where you work. That's why I say I love those roles. It's not so much, yes, you're doing stuff and it's great for the firm. I, I, I love running the practice group. I, I think it's helpful for the firm, but I love how many people outside of the practice group I get to know because of it. 
Well, and I want you to fully embrace, I know you said it feels a little hokey. This is where it can start to feel cheesy. Yeah, totally. This is Foley's podcast. So yeah, we're here to explore our personal stories, but but we're going to be cheesy. This is the place to do it. But tell me a little bit more about that in terms of, okay, we know you had your potential 36-hour departure, but otherwise you've spent your legal career at Foley and Lardner. Just get, give me even more about why that is, like how Foley has kept you or what it is about this firm that that you, you've liked or so enjoyed. That's hard to answer kind of quickly. I also just don't know how to say things kind of quickly. It's just, it's um, okay. You can give me multiple sentences. It doesn't need to yeah, just be <laughs> I think I, I'm just very circular sometimes. And as um, my friend Pavan Agarwal will say, like, I just like very circular to get to your point. I mean, this is going to sound really ridiculous, but it, it's true. The people are a huge component of it. You know, I could, that's the ultimate big answer. I think. I would have had to leave the firm at various points if the firm itself wasn't supportive at various points in my career. So, you know, I have three children, all of them I had while I was at Foley. So I was on flex time when after my first child. So in 2005, and I stayed on flex until after I made partner. So my last child was born in 2010. I think I got off of flex in around 2014 or 2015. So it's not the moment my third child was born, I was off of flex and, you know, so I think that if I didn't have that support from the firm to have some understanding of my schedule and and really just provide the support for me to deal with my family commitments and still encourage my career, I would have had to leave. The firm supporting me in that way was a big reason why I was able to stay and why I continue to stay now post the children and, and you know, the firm support in that regard does center around the people. If you're at a place long enough, I mean, hopefully you'll meet friends, right? And certainly when you're at a, in a job that's sucking up a lot of your time, you ought to like the people you're around because you're around them a lot. I am very fortunate to be around some pretty terrific folks. If I wasn't around terrific folks, I'd probably leave then too. You know, I mean, no one wants to be around a bunch of jerks and we don't have a lot of them at Foley. Uh, and, the, and the ones that we do have on, at Foley are, are like in the dungeon somewhere. You've written, <laughs> We've locked them away. No, I'm just they, right. They're not the ones that do the interviews. They're not that like you, they rarely see the light of day. So I don't see other people. Well, and you said a couple of things I just want to stress or highlight about being on flex. So for those who don't know, flex either means a flexible working arrangement and or a reduced hours component, but also within big log, because we are a large law firm, I can attest to that fact. Last I checked, I think we were in terms of headcount around top 20 in the US for just the sheer number of people we have. And that's across 21 offices. But there are firms where if you are on a reduced schedule, you are actually not eligible to become a partner until you fully very clearly is not that firm. Yeah, correct. I just wanted to give listeners some context because the fact that you know you were able to make, make partner while reduced is something that is not a given at every firm. I'd like to think it's a given at many, but it's not at all. So I just wanted to highlight that. And you've also reflected something that a lot of the you know guests I have on this show say, they say it's, it's the people and they say, I know it's hard. 
for me to convey this, but ultimately in a lot of ways, I really enjoy with the people that I work with. So I appreciate you sharing that as well, Crystal. And my last few questions for you, and I'm going to ask that you really resist the urge to say no and no, but we'll see, <laughs> are one, is there anything else you just you wanted to highlight about, about your path or about Foley that we haven't touched on? That one you can say no to if you'd like to. Okay, that's a no. The, the final one, the yeah. final one is, so general advice to somebody who's navigating a legal career. I don't know if you want to style it to an IP lawyer in particular, but just to that law student or that person junior in their career, what's something you either you wish someone had told you? Hmm. So, so I struggle with this one. I, I, don't, I don't think there's anything I wish someone told me because I was so thorough in reaching out to a number of folks when I was trying to figure out whether to go to law school or not. I think the the bit of advice I can give, and 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 this is something that I tell, you know, because I do a lot of interviewing for laterals for our firm, obviously predominantly in the ChemBio space, but I think this is applicable beyond ChemBio folks. I would say for summer associates and agents or associates just people that are looking to either go to their first law firm or transition law firms is to not treat that process as as the firm just interviewing you and you would be so lucky as to get a job there but you should also take the time to come up with thoughtful questions and interview the firm too because you know, one of the things that I hate seeing when I look at resumes is someone making multiple transitions. I can understand one, two, really no more than two transitions. But when I start to see three, four, sometimes five transitions, it makes me question whether that candidate is really interested in our firm or whether they're just chasing the, you know, the next big salary jump. It just doesn't look good. And it's it, it can't be easy for the candidate to be making so many transitions. I would say for anyone interviewing and meeting with various firms to put some thought into the questions that you will ask of those firms and make sure that firm is also a right fit for you so that you can avoid the different transitions and and find a place where you can kind of, here we go, getting hokey again, but that where you can kind of call your home for the next whatever foreseeable future. I think that's that's probably the best piece of advice. I that is great advice and timely advice as we are heading into interview season. And I think your episode's going to post somewhere in there. And also, but also um, we're doing a special edition. By the time this is out, that'll probably already be out. Uh, episode with our director of recruiting, Amy Moynihan, and Bob Shear, our head of our recruiting committee, to talk about that very thing. And they they say and can reinforce what you just said is that we're interviewing you, but you're also interviewing us. And we hope you ask us the questions you need answered so that you can find the right place for you. But with that, Crystal, we made it through. We're at the end. My no, final, final question <laughs> is, there you go. If someone has questions or you know wants to reach out to you, can they feel free to find you on Foley's right. website and send you an email? Absolutely. Perfect. Thank you so much, Crystal. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Path and the Practice. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and join us again next time. And if you did enjoy it, please share it. 
subscribe, and leave us a review as your feedback on the podcast is important to us. Also, please note that this podcast may be considered attorney advertising and is made available by Foley and Lardner LLP for informational purposes only. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship. Any opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the views of Foley and Lardner LLP, its partners, or its clients. Additionally, this podcast is not meant to convey the firm's legal position on behalf of any client, nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice. 